Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So welcome, Kathy Goodfellow Cook. Got it? Got it, got it. Okay, so welcome everybody else listening to Bluebells Forever podcast. And I'm really happy. I just, I'm kind of like in this like jubilant (laughs) energy right now because I always talk to people before we record and sometimes it's like, here's the facts. And I felt like we just got in this wonderful high of what it is to be a Bluebell. We talk about the reunion and just, I'm like, oh, I just have to start recording because you have such energy, even though you're stuck home for 10 days. So Welcome. And just tell me, where, where are you at this moment? Because it's nice to know where all these bluebells around the world are. So um, I ended up moving back home to uh, a town called Great Yarmouth, which is on the east coast of England, um, on the sticky out bit, where I'm right on the outside edge, pretty much in the middle of the North Sea. So um, we're oh. about a couple of hours from London. Um, yeah, so uh, I pretty much moved home. Actually, moved in, ended up moving back into my family home when my mum passed away. I bought I bought the rest of my my family home from my brothers and my husband really? and I moved here. Yeah, so back literally back where I started. Yeah. Wow, wow. How was that? Because I know like the life because you lived in Paris. Was coming home? Was that? Oh, I, I feel like I'm coming home and I'm ready to settle down. Or was that? I'm going all over the place. I'm not sure where we're going yet, but yeah, the, no. com- when you're coming back yeah. to your same town after living that so you know, when life when abroad. Home, when I first came home, I was horrible because everything just got on my nerves. And um, my mom actually sat me down and said, you know, you, you just have to rein this in a little bit because we actually haven't changed. Galston and Yarmouth and everybody here, we haven't changed. It's you that is different. And you have to just just be aware that you're the one who was changing and growing. We are still the same. And the good thing about coming here is you know what everybody is and where everybody is and how everybody is. And she was right, actually. And that is something I've had to say to my own children. You know, they've gone off around the world and come back and gone, oh, this place, this place. And it's like, oh, it's you that has changed. We haven't changed here. And I always thought that was really pretty good advice. That is so, oh my gosh. I remember coming back and like, well, on the ship we did that. I got, and I was, I was kind of snotty, I think, you know, and they're talking, I'm talking about how boring it is in our small town. And I think, you know, it's probably offensive if you were. Yeah. The one. <laughs> so yeah, I I, it was a hard was adjustment like. because I, well, we still do this. I used to just be able to go to the theater. I used to be able to do these things. Yeah. So it was, I think just fighting the fact that I was back home yeah. wanting to figure out how to do both lives to be able to be a home, be home and settled somewhat instead of always traveling, but missing that all the wonderful opportunities of having that kind of a job. But when I did eventually stop dancing, when I, when I did stop dancing and I came back, it was quite nice in a way. Cause again, I think I was, I, I know I was very snotty, but it was also quite nice because I did understand then I did know. And I, it was, it felt safe here. Um, I, I had people around me that I knew would always look after me and support me. And, and so in that way, it was nice. And in the end, we moved back because as we were talking about before, I lived, um, my husband um, was in the Royal Navy and we lived in Scotland. We lived just outside Glasgow. Um, and when he started to go to sea a lot more, both of us decided that it would be better for us to move back to Galston, Great Arms, Galston. So our children were settled and that they would have the same support network that we had here. Um, and it has worked out really well, has worked out well for them as well. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's something eventually we do want to come home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to start with this question because I got all fiery listening to what you're saying. Cause I have a show I'm putting together and when you're trying to explain what a bluebell is to people who have no idea, just, you know, I have to always start from the beginning or what a showgirl is, but like what we were talking about, what makes a bluebell set apart and why, like we were talking about Karina, why some of these people that you watch on stage, which I think when you watch those kind of the principles, it also affects our way we perform because I had never seen that until I saw the principles in the show. And I went, what is this? Like, we didn't do this in ballet performance. We just did our <laughs> smile. So you, you said it so beautifully. Like when you think about what that was, what the bluebell represented on stage, what was that to you when you first saw that? 
I think I think the first time I ever stood up straight and tall was the very first night I went to the Lido. So we arrived in Paris, we went to the Lido, we were stood in a corridor and these girls came back and I remember thinking, oh, I'm not the tallest here now. What, what's this? What is this? But then the, the just, they were just beautiful. They were elegant. Um, I remember watching the show that first night and thinking, oh my God, I think I want my mother. What have I talked myself into this time? But there were things that I learned that the bluebells, are the most amazing species and to be part of that is just such an honor we are brave we are brave that's i would say firstly bluebell girls are brave because we defied being told that we were too tall to dance we defied the fact that we were different to everybody wherever we were from around around the world and we packed our bags and we up and we went. We went to Paris, we went to Vegas, we went, we, you know, wherever there was, Italy, wherever there was a show, we just picked up our bags and went. And when I got my job in Paris, I auditioned for uh, Peter Baker and was offered the contract in 1981. I went back to college to drop out. I went to tell him, now nah, I'm not, not going to do my A-levels anymore. I'm going to go to Paris. And I went to see one of my friends who was on a different course and my friend Lisa, we'd been friends since we were four. We, we started school together. And I went in and one of the girls had said, said, you know, they'd heard I was leaving, that I was going to Paris. One of the girls said, are you not scared? And I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. I had butterflies, you, you, you had butterflies in, in my tummy and I thought, and my friend, before I could say, of course I'm scared, who wouldn't be scared? I'm gonna pack my bags and go to Paris on my own. My friend Lisa said, of course she's not scared. She's never been scared of anything in her life. And I thought, well, I'm a good actress. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. off I went, but I think Bluebell Girls are brave. I learned, as a Bluebell Girl, I learned how to stand. I learned how to walk. I learned how to carry very hairy, heavy objects on my head, attached to my hair. <laughs> I, um, I, when I was in rehearsal, one of the other one of the other girls, when I was re rehearsing for the nudes, one of the other girls said to me, um, "Look at her hands and look at her feet, and practice that because that is going to make you stand out." And it was. It was the way you stood. It was the way you held your feet. There was a girl, and I will say, it, Cherie Parsons had the best feet at the Lido. They were beautiful. She had that perfect instep. And I practiced and practiced and practiced until I could do that. And people now say, "Oh, Cass, you've got the best feet," but I don't. It's Cherie Parsons. Oh. Um, things like how to do your hands. I've got. I was told often I have a short neck, and I need to put. You know. You know what it's like. Yeah. I have a short neck and I need to put my shoulders down and lift my chin and I need to have my hands and arms in a certain way. And I learned that at the Lido and I learned how to work as part of this massive team and be in the right place at the right time. Because if you weren't, it caused an accident, you know, you, yeah, you did yes. crash. Um, so working as that was just amazing. Blue, I, bluebells can do and be whatever they want to be because we were brave and we were, we got up and we went. And we did something amazing. Well, we talked about how that also goes into the next chapter or book yeah. of our life. Because um, what are you doing now? Because what did you do when you were done? I'm going to go back to your dance story, I promise. But it's just interesting that those things people say being a blue belt translated into other jobs of why they were successful yeah. in other so things. I've, I've done all sorts of stuff. Um, a lot of things uh, worked around because I've got three children so and a husband in the Navy. So there was quite a lot that I needed to work around because it was pretty much just me and the kids. So I've, I've done all sorts of stuff. I, I've, I've worked at a circus. I've worked as a waitress and a barmaid. And um, I've worked in the gas and oil industry. I've worked as I was a school librarian. It was the noisiest library in the whole of the East. Um, <laughs> But every single child read and had a book, so it was pretty good. Um, I've been a fitness instructor and a dance teacher as well. And that's sort of been a theme all the way along. So whatever else I did to earn money, I've always done choreography and taught fitness and dance and that sort of stuff as well. Uh, but currently I am uh, working as a what we call a therapy assistant practitioner, which is part of the physiotherapy team in the pelvic health department at my local hospital. Um, uh, I present 
um, information sessions on things like pelvic organ prolapse, um, pre-operative gynecology information, um, and urinary issues. So it's generally women, it's generally women of a certain age, um, and we talk about the reasons for pelvic problems, for uh, pelvic floor dysfunction, and what we can do about it. Because I don't believe that any of us have to wear nappies. <laughs> That's my right. <laughs> so, and, and within that role, within that role, it's um, I teach pelvic Pilates and um, functional pelvic floor exercises as well. So as as we were saying before, I still love an audience. <laughs> I'm the only one in the team is like more people. Bring more people. We're wow. Yeah. Got that down. This we would talk as I want to go into reunions next too. So I was saying like, I recognize you because I think you're in so many photos from the reunion because of the group of friends you were with. And now I've interviewed people. So I'm like, oh, I recognize your face. And so if we, we were saying we need a longer reunion because it, there just wasn't enough time. But if we all work on our pelvic Pilates and our pelvic floor, we could get together and we can laugh really hard without peeing. So that could be a really good goal for the next one. Yeah, <laughs> bad things. I don't allow any of them. <laughs> because <laughs> that's the thing when you get older and you laugh it's like oh dear I still want to be able to laugh hard oh and those menopause years what are they about oh that's a, that's yeah. a whole different story whole yeah. different story uh, the brain is no, not quite connected so we were talking about the reunion and I would love to to share because there's something even about daughters I was I was trying to find Michelle Brown because her daughter danced yes. she's from my she lives in my area now and her daughter took from one of my, the teachers at my studio. So I was looking for her at the reunion thinking, well, mother, daughter. And it, it wasn't easy because there was a lot of mother daughters there. Yeah, and which I thought was beautiful. Um, Anne-Marie O'Connor did her, she did the dance class with her yeah. daughter. So I was dancing next to her. I'm like, this is so cool that your daughter gets to be on the Lido stage with you and, and then see the show and go, that's what my mom did. Yeah. So I would just love to hear your experience of the, of that reunion. But then also you did some any other what <laughs> many others and why yeah. it really matters to you to keep these friendships connected not just on social media but you actually get together with with friends so um i was talking to lindsay um another friend of mine and patty ward in america we're talking to lindsay this is the very first reunion when not not this last one but the one before like 2009 and that was when Lindsay said right I'll organize this reunion so that was the first reunion which I was I went to as well um but the last reunion was really lovely because I took my daughter with me I've got a friend a very close friend of mine here who used to dance with me Sam um and she has a daughter who works at Disney in Paris and a daughter here at home so I said to her come on let's, let's go the girls the Saskia's coming let's go with the girls and my brother came and then another friend of mine from the Mulan came as well and it was just so so much fun to see all the girls it was Karina with Savannah and there was a and and a couple of others and so we ended up in quite this this really nice big group um and then another lassie called Rosie appeared and said this is Karen Griffith's daughter uh, Laura Laura's come on her own because we lost Griff. Griff died a few years ago. Laura's on her own. I said, no, she doesn't have to be on her own. Come with us. And she said, I knew you'd say that. Thanks. And gave me Laura. So then we just ended up with quite a really good bunch of youngsters as well, which was so nice to show them. We showed them the restaurants we ate at. We went, we came to the Lido. We went to the Moulin Rouge. We went to Montmartre. We went on the Bateau Mouche. But it was just brilliant to actually go and do all of that stuff together with the girls. So it was really special. The reunions mean so much to me. I'm um, I'm very lucky. I um, after I finished being a bluebell, I worked for different companies. One of them was Jose Montes in Spain. One of his line captains uh, must be about twenty eight years ago now. Organised a reunion in Torremolinos for Jose's birthday, and that happened that first year. Then they did another one um, about five years later. And then a friend, a very good friend of ours called Les Baird, who I'd met at one of those reunions, bought a, a small hotel just down the coast near Fuengarola, between Fuengarola and Marbella. And he invited us, um, a group of us, to go for the opening. It turned out, I think, that actually there were about seven ex-Bluebells and a few others. Jose Montes loved employing Bluebell girls because he didn't have to teach us how to walk, stand, 
put makeup on, wear costumes, that sort of stuff. He, he already knew we had that, that, that skill and we were good on stage. Um, and that has now developed into us going to Spain for a reunion every single year. There is always the hardcore, six of us, and that is Kathy Williams, Kathy Williams, Dale Taylor, uh, Kerry, um, uh, she's another one, um, and myself. There's all, well, there's always what we call the super six who always go, no matter what. And for me, that is so important because it reminds me who I am. And when I go there, I am Kathy Goodfellow. I'm nobody's wife, nobody's mother, nobody's sister, nobody's, nobody's, I can be Kathy Goodfellow. And we behave appallingly. We are rude, crude, socially unacceptable. And 18, <laughs> again. And it goes back. Oh. Just tops up my, me, tops me. Oh, man. And it's amazing. Honestly, it's fabulous. Which reunion were you telling me before we recorded that you were having money taken out of your check because it mattered that much? I that's it was wonderful. it was the very first. It was the very first reunion in Spain, um, and it was before social media and emails and stuff like that. And and Jane, who organised it, um, rang me up and said, "If I do organise this reunion, um, will you come?" I said, "I will try. I'm not sure if I can afford it. You know, we were we were living in Scotland." Um, my husband, we, we weren't earning very much money. We had a house in, in Galston and the one we were renting in Scotland and skin. And I was teaching Keep Fit and I said to the ladies who, who the committee that ran the Keep Fit group, who paid me every week, I said, please, will you keep this much money off me out of my wage each week and do not give it to me even if I cry and beg. And they said, are you sure? I said, even if I cry and beg, do not let me have this money because this is my money to go to Spain with. And um, I did go and I did cry and I did beg. And she cried and said, no, you made me promise and I'm not going to. <laughs> and in the end, I was really pleased that she didn't because I did manage and we, I did manage it. Um, and it was just amazing. I absolutely, I had such a good time. And, and that was the very first reunion I went to, I think. And I did cry all the way home because it just, it had been so emotional and so much fun. And I'd laughed and laughed and laughed. And um, it was just brilliant. But it, it was also just reminded me that it was important to stay in touch with that part of my life. Very yeah. important. Oh my gosh. Well, you had said something like bluebell, like it was just like performer, not just bluebells, but like that uh, to get just raucous, like just the, the be able there's just maybe something when you're backstage together, you're performing because people go to a nine to five job. A lot of time you don't get to have the hilarity. No. You don't get to have, we're working through, uh, it's just a different kind of connection. Oh, I think it's well, very often you, you sort of live with quite a few people you work with. So in your normal nine to five life, you go in, you say, hello, how you doing? How are your kids? They're fine. What's like this and that. And you leave again. But when, when you're a bluebell, when you're dancing, it's it's a family because yeah. very often you're in a in a foreign country where you you've only got each other which so it's really important that you look after each other but there's also things like humor and there's there's no <laughs> humor like dressing room humor there just is no humor like dressing and the language i'm i'm not allowed to swear like <laughs> in the room, you know it's oh just, my gosh um but yes it's it's just and and Although we're in a show and people come to watch us, very often a lot of humour in, is in us watching the audience. You know, they would, oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> was, we'd get the Japanese in and they'd fall asleep on the table, and and you could. There was one girl who used to try to smack as many as she could with her four foot long sleeve. You know, there was, there was so many really funny things. And in Costa Rica, they had the um, the African scene with the elephants. Uh, and if the elephant peed on the stage, that was just like, everybody's like, oh, no, I've got to kneel in this any minute. But it's, there's just lots and lots of funny, funny stuff that happened day in, day out, you know, just. I interviewed Miranda Coe and she was talking about two people, one person I worked with, it was super funny. And she said, another person I'm trying to get to do an interview, she said they were like, both sides of her were hysterically funny people. She's like, I'd be doubled over. And then you have to go on stage and you have to somehow get yourself back up into blue, blue belt upright when you've been yeah. like 
doubled over holding your stomach and you go out there and you put on a sexy face or a glamorous face then you go backstage and then you just start laughing yeah. or whatever is happening back there it's just yeah that was the fun of like coming putting your makeup on and then the backstage and yeah when you had time backstage and then yeah if you do things afterwards I just there's some a lot of people I've interviewed that said they haven't thought about this life this part of their life at all and so when I reached out to them a lot of them got emotional like one lady who was in her 80s said I haven't told anybody this part of my life I came back left it all behind and and her granddaughter messaged me and said thank you I had no idea my grandmother did something so wonderful yeah so I don't know if it's, we didn't have people to relate to, you know, like if you want to tell these stories and people back home are like, oh, there you go again, talking about elephant feet or whatever, you know, but they, but it's hard because you kind of just kind of keep those stories to yourself more and more. And if you, you know, it's just, it's interesting to go back and go, you know, this really was fabulous. And the, the reunions, um, I think everybody, as soon as we left Paris last time, like Lindsay, when's the next one? And I was like, let her have a, let's have, have a little bit of time to rest. Cause I know there's a lot of work. And maybe more of us would be like so willing to help because it, yeah. we understand the importance, especially That's right. well, but you brought this up about losing Griff, um, like just putting that slideshow together of how many people have passed. Like I only knew a few that I worked with. So when the pictures started coming and people started sending more and more, it was beautiful and so sad of how many we've lost. Yeah. And we were talking, and I would like to talk about that a little bit too, about the AIDS epidemic of how many men that we lost that we didn't even know till later. So I think what I feel with doing this podcast, the importance of telling the stories while we're still here, because so. this year, gosh, this last, like, I think it was Pierre, Pierre, there was like four in a row within a few months that were just like, oh gosh, this is reminding us that we're not young and that the world is, you know, <laughs> that we're not guaranteed anything. And so telling the stories and then having people connect, like their friends will listen to their story and then they'll find each other again. It feels timely that we we reach I, out and connect again I, I agree completely i'm very lucky because my best friend here is my friend sam who works at the moulin and um we run together every weekend so every every saturday and sunday morning we go down to the beach and we run 5k she's much younger than me and a much better runner than me but we run and we talk and we laugh and we've just got that connection of paris and although we never worked in the same shows abroad we work together here but it's that whole life. I get it. I get, I get her life. I get her Paris life. She gets my Paris life. Um, and so it, and it, that for me is important as well. I think that um, we were talking about um, a television program they made in the UK, which was a series. And I, I can't remember. It's not coming to my brain what it is because I'm old. Um, but it, it was heartbreaking. It was the 80s and how people, people's family came and got them and they just went home and were never heard of again um, and I think that's actually what happened to quite a lot of of the young men that we worked with just devastating it's just devastating yeah, yeah. I, I went to the, the actually the very first reunion I went to was 1988 I went to um, the George Sank it was um, the, everybody was meeting in the George Sank on the 8th of the 8th 88 at eight o'clock and um, <laughs> I had just had my my son my first baby um, and I took him because I was feeding him. So if I didn't take him, I couldn't do it. And my husband was brilliant and he came as well. And it was just lovely. It was just really nice. But Dennis was there, one of the guys who'd been in the, the show at the Lido with me. He was one of the principal dancers. And he, he said, this is the last thing I'll do. And I really wanted to make it. And he, I think he might have been the first one I knew that we lost. But then it mm. turned out that there were lots more that, that we, we, didn't, we didn't get to see. But you should, yeah. I will send you the name of that program so that you can, yeah. you can, you can put a link or something on the iPlayer. It's on the BBC iPlayer. So if you can access the BBC iPlayer online, you can watch it. Okay. But it's, um, like I say, it's, uh, we, we just, we just seem to have lost so many more than other work careers. Yeah. 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 We just, we just, I seem to know more people who have passed away from my dancing life than than any other any other job I've ever done really yeah I don't know why living fast maybe yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah. so where did you grow you grew up where you are now but yeah. how did you why why and how did you start dancing so, and when 
so um, my mum and dad are originally from Cumbria, which is in the Lake, the Lake District up in the north of England. And when they got married, they, they, um, my dad got a job in a school here and they got given accommodation so that they could afford to get married. So they moved to Great Yarmouth. Um, when they moved to Galston, they met a lady who was a, a tiller girl. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the tillers. Yeah. They're like mm-hmm. the, the kick in line of the UK, really, a bit like the Rockettes, but I think probably be, even before the Rockettes. Um, and so Auntie Jo was very good friends with my mum and, and my mum and my dad. And um, she said, I'm going to start a dancing school. Would you be interested in sending Kath? And mum said, yeah, she's going to be tall. Apparently it was obvious I was going to be tall. So they sent me along to dancing class from the age of three. So just locally. But Auntie Jo had a had her own dancing troupe um, and she did lots of cabarets, like the holiday camps and various shows and stuff. And as I grew up into a teenager, I was this great big gangly thing. Well, you know what it's like when you're tall and you grow up. Arms and legs seem to go first. I look like yeah. an <laughs> on some of these mm-hmm. pictures. Um, and then, so when I when I hit my teenage years, all of the girls in my same group, uh, my same age group, started to get these shows, these cabaret jobs. And um, I thought, I'd always been told I was too tall and I'd never be able to be a dancer because I was too tall, which was fine. I was like, yeah, all right, okay. Um, I said so this particular year I'd worked really really hard I'd um I'd I'd had a growth spurt I'd grown into my arms and legs and (laughs) and uh I I was I I was actually working really hard and working really well and we had to audition for the local holiday camp managers and they sat in a row at the front of the dancing studios and they actually said in front of all of us yes we'll take all of them but not that tall one they pointed at me I was 17. I threw the biggest teenage strop you've ever seen in your life. I was livid. And I actually said, so you can take the short, fat one, but not me. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) Proper teenager. Got home, slammed every door. I didn't actually stop dancing. I carried on going to dancing. But I threw a strop every time I went in. And I slammed the door on the way in. And I slammed the door on the way out. <laughs> and, um, and it was so I was I was pretty horrible. Um, and then my dancing teacher rang my mum and said, she's been a right pain. I'm going to sort her out. So and then she said, can you send a photograph with Kath? Don't tell her. Just send me one of the photographs of the show. And I'm going to write to Bluebell. So. I didn't know what was in this envelope. So I took the envelope to my dancing teacher. My dancing teacher wrote a letter, sent it to Peter Baker. This, she gave it to me on the Friday night. I literally, I think I was 18 and a week. And she gave me, she said, post this on your way home. So I said, fine, off I went, posted the letter. That was the Friday. On the Monday, I got a phone call from Peter Baker saying, can you come and audition? I auditioned on the Wednesday. Um, he signed and I signed a contract on the Wednesday on the Thursday I went to London to the passport office and got a 10-year passport and three weeks later I was in Paris I was going oh to my gosh I was going to go to university to be a physiotherapist but now nah, that was it and it, it literally I was it was one of the few occasions when Peter Baker rang um it, he's he's another character he's another conversation another time but when he rang, it was a, my mum and dad were both in, which hardly ever happened. So I was writing notes to my dad saying, um, he's offering me a job in Paris as a bluebell girl. And my dad, I said, what should I do? My dad said, wrote back, he said, what do you want to do? I said, but what about my exams? And he said, you can do your exams any other time in your life. You may never get this opportunity again, do it. They were brilliant. My mum and dad were brilliant. They were both teachers, uh... from the, very conservative with a small C, conservative. Yeah you know, family from the north of England. Um, my grandparents were like, well, well, what, 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 what? But uh, they were all brilliant and all supported me. So off I went to Paris. Because a lot of times for parents, like, no, get your degree first, and then yeah. pursue that, have something to fall yeah. back on, which I suppose if I have something to fall back on, I'm not going to go for it. Yeah. But it is interesting well, for the parents. Of, yeah. But, I mean, both of my parents were teachers. They were both teachers in higher education. And they both of them said, do it now. You may never get the other another opportunity. Do it now. And and they they were amazing. They're brilliant. And they they supported my brother to be a dancer as well. You know, my brother Adrian went to the Royal Valley School when he was eleven, and then he he was too tall. It wasn't that it wasn't the fit for him. And then he went back and went to one of the top um, dancing colleges in London when he was sixteen. 
so and then he became a professional dancer and traveled around the world and worked in the west end for 15 years and so he he they supported him in his dreams as well so oh my god amazing, amazing supportive parents they were just fab my mom and dad now i can't remember if this was the part we recorded or before when you were saying your friends were like are you nervous are you scared to go to paris because you were what how old were you you were just eight, eight, 18 in a week but I think every everybody I've talked to that are moms now, we have a very different thought of an 18-year-old going to Paris than when yeah. we were young. Like I moved to Vegas and my parents are they were very scared for me. But yeah. I didn't I didn't know. I mean, I was nervous, but it's it's weird to think of your own children at eight, at 16, 17, 18, going to not not anywhere, but Paris, like this big city. Yeah. And to think that the parents that that let let us go. Yeah, it's hard. It's, I have to say. I have to say that um, all, all of my kids were, uh, were pretty brave as well. Um, my young, my, my older son, Benj, he went, he, I put him on a, on a plane to America when he was 18. He, uh, he did go to stay with my brother in Washington, DC, but I literally, we literally took him to the airport and put him on the, on the plane. Um, my daughter Saskia got a job at the Savoy Hotel when she was 19 and moved to London. And that was, I think I was probably more worried about her than, cause she used to get the night bus home at like three in the morning. And it was like, mm. yeah, but yeah. And then my youngest son, I put him on a plane to Australia at 18. He went and lived in a hostel in, in Australia at 18. And people, lots of people said to me, you know, oh, you, you must be, you must be devastated. And I said, I'm, that's, that's my job. My job is to make my children into really good, decent human beings. And to be brave and to be strong and to live the life they want to live. Not mine, not what I want, but what they, mm. want, they want to do. And my younger son, Lawrence, now lives in Australia. He, he's, he's engaged and um, he'll never come back to the UK to live. He'll come back to visit, but he won't yeah. come back. He loves it out there. And my, young, my daughter lives, she's um, uh, with a young man who's in the army. So she's up in North Yorkshire. Um, my oldest boy, he went about 200 yards down the road. So they've all gone off and done various things and stuff. Like I say, my job was to make them into good, strong human beings to live the life that they want to live, not the life I want them to live. Right. And that's to be, it's interesting, too. And like we think of the generation we grew up. I don't know how it was in the UK, but we didn't wear helmets. We rode in the back of pickups. With, we you ate dirt. We, rode, we did things. Our parents, like they didn't know where we were. We would come in until dark. And now like the parenting is like, everybody's scary out there I mean there's 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 probably no scarier there's just the same stuff that maybe we just know more but I feel like even those of us who live that might still have that like oh stranger danger or I want you to go but it's scary I don't know it's just interesting of how parenting back there also kind of made it where we were like sure I'll I'll go to another country (laughs) well my husband my husband left home at 16 and went in the navy and he was actually um down in the Falklands war when he was 18 19 as well so but both wow. of us have done different stuff pretty young really um so we we've got lots of stories and our kids were like well okay no I need my stories oh um, my gosh I love that quite a nice you know that they they wanted to go and live so that they could have their stories and I, I thought that was oh. great I thought that was really cool and but then I could only do what I did because I knew I had my mum and dad I knew I had my mum and dad as a safety net. Whatever happens, I, I always knew whatever happened, my dad would come and get me. And I have always said to my kids, go do what you need to do. Live your life. Behave. If you need me, I will come and get you. I, I don't care where you are in the world. If you need me, I will come and get you. As it turned out, I did have to go and get Lawrence from one of his first trips to Australia because he was really quite poorly. Um <laughs> that's a whole nother story oh wow so I did actually I I, he was in hospital in Australia and I rang him and I said are you all right do you need me to come and he's like no no I'm gonna be fine day two you all right we got to a week and um I think it was about I think it was about 10 days and I said Lawrence you all right do you want me to come and he said if you want (laughs) that was me rang my boss at work oh I won't be in I'm going to Australia to get Lawrence so and um they were just fabulous and yeah but then but then I think if you know that you've got somebody to rescue you, you can do what you need to do. You can live the life you want to live. Oh yeah. Gosh, that's, that's an interesting balance of freedom, but also someone's got you yeah. that you can take more risk than like, if I go out there, I'm on my own and 
Yeah. Because there's a lot of girls that didn't have that support and right. things don't go well, like even to go home. Yeah. Like when I moved to Vegas, my, my dad was just like, you'll be home. You're not going to make it. You'll be home in a month where my friend, her parents said, you can't come home until you've been down there two months. So we both would cry. Like we hated Vegas and I got hired and I moved to Reno, but it, it was weird. Like if you don't have the support, like I can't go home. So I have to yeah. make it work, which sometimes is a good thing, but sometimes there's, there's no one looking out to make sure you're okay. But then that when I first went to Paris again, I was terribly homesick like you. And I used to cry. And when my, when my dad rang, I used to cry. And, and then, and then he, he rang me one day and said, um, I'm arriving tomorrow. And he said, uh, he said to my mum, I just need to see where she is. I need to see that she's okay. And, um, and then I'll tell her to pull her socks up and get on with it. And that's exactly what he did. Exactly. And I still have the letter that he wrote to me when he got back saying, you've got an amazing life suck it up you look at what you've got look at what you've got and enjoy it enjoy every minute and I still have that letter and every so often when I need to give myself a bit of a talking to I'll just go and dig that little letter out from my dad and and to say and and he he loved it because he he came to work with us and he sat with Miss Bluebell to watch the show and then he got the taxi home with us and when we went out and about and he just had a lovely time a whale of a time and of course when when you when you're a bluebell, if you if your dad comes, he's everybody's dad. And when when I look back, I mean, he he must have been quite young. He must have been a little bit like, oh my god, all these girls with no clothes on. What am I doing? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was he was amazing. And and but he came out. He said no. I, he, he, my mum told me afterwards that he'd said, okay, she doesn't sound very happy. I need to just check. And my mum had said, nah, she's fine. She's just having a day. And, and, but he'd said, no, I'm going, I need to go and just look at where she is and see what she's doing. And he, he, oh. he, he was amazing and fabulous. I was very oh. lucky, very lucky with my parents. That sounds like it was really good for you to know you're fine. And for your dad to go home and, and for both of your parents to go, she's fine. She's looked after because Linda Croft, who hers is coming out next week, that yeah. her mom took her there. And then she just said she kind of got enveloped by uh, Pierre and the group and she didn't look back and her mother went back all by herself, but yeah. her mom got to see, Oh, you're in, you're going to be cared for. And I guess like her mom would call Pierre every night. Like, how's, how is she doing? So yeah. I love that. They know like they're, they're these young girls, their parents are like putting them in their hands. And yeah. I love when I heard that Miss Bluebell put the girls in taxis and that they were taken care of and and that if you've got a really young girl you've got someone a little older hopefully keeping an eye out for them and making sure like getting an apartment at 18 you know there's a, there's a lot yeah. of things you weren't trained so, for well she she had somebody who worked for her. i think her name was caroline caroline i won't say caroline um and she did make sure that everybody had apartments but we there, there were ways around being taken home and they she always made sure that the 18 year olds had to go home and the taxi driver waited till they'd gone in and then they'd come back out and get a taxi back to go out on the Champs-Élysées with everybody else wow so, so what was your what was your your first show was Coco Rico yeah how was that being you know when you first see the show had you seen a show like that before you had no idea what you're in for right That's Absolutely not, a <laughs> not a clue I had seen the Bluebell tour of the UK which was, um, uh, it, I think it, that there's, there's some very funny stories about that show and the tour of, of Britain, you know, these really old theatres and, and everything. But that was the first show I saw at Norwich. Um, and I remember seeing the dancers. There was a few in the bar before the show and um, that was quite incredible. And then I'd gone to Paris when I was 16 on a school trip and we'd driven down the Champs-Élysées on the coach and I looked at it and I said, I'm going to work there. And everybody went, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, but no, when I, when I first watched the show, it was the first time I'd ever been drunk because the waiters kept filling up my champagne glass without me noticing. <laughs> I had such a hangover for my first day of rehearsals. Can't believe it. Um, but I do remember seeing it and watching it and thinking, uh, how how am I going to remember that? How am I going to know what the hell is that? What how am what is that cause? And when they gave me a G string and I looked at it and went, yes. <laughs> and Which actually, way does this go? And it was a it was an American girl called Evelyn um, who who turned it round and said, put your feet in like that. And I had done a couple of cabarets. I stood in for a couple of cabarets here, so I knew a little bit about putting false eyelashes on and and that sort of and doing my hair and things like that, but. 
um, you know, fishnet tights and G-strings. I didn't wear G-string. What, what is this? What am I doing? No, but, but Evelyn and Patty really were brilliant. They really looked after me and they really took care of me. Griff was great as well. She was in that first dressing room. Um, and another lassie called Anita Crookshank. She took me under a wing and, and looked after me as well. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a, an amazing way to grow up. Oh, well, I think it's, you know, you have your line captain teaching you choreography if you're coming in as a replacement, but I think there's no one assigned to help you, but it just, it, I think it just happens. Like somebody's going to help you with your makeup. Cause I remember them holding up the G string when it's open and it's not cut. It's just a weird shape. Yeah. And then you look like, what do I do with it? And they, it's kind of like an initiation to say, what's she going to do? And I remember like when it was somebody else's new, new night to watch them figure out, like hold it up. What do I do with this? So it's kind of the fun. I think a lot of people yeah. just take that on as like to help you have a really good first night and yeah. support you in that because yeah, everybody, if they remember what their first night was like when you have no yeah. clue and you're getting out there on that huge stage and you've got to not just do your choreography, but how do I get this costume on and off in 30 seconds? And I think uh, the second one as well was the first night I went topless, the first night yeah. of, when I moved me up into the nudes. And the very first number I did was the mirrors number. Now this was just two sleeves with bits of mirror hanging to the floor. It weighed a ton, it was so heavy. And I was so scared, I shook, I rattled. Oh. And I literally rattled to the front of the stage and I did my bit and I turned around and I rattled all the way back. And of course, because I was the new girl in, in the nudes, all of the waiters were stood at the, at the corner to have a look at my boobs. Yep, yep. Boobs of the new girl. And that was a bit like second show, it doesn't matter, does it? Third show, you don't even think about it. Fourth show, right, what am I having for my tea when I get out? But it, it, was, it, was, it was great, but those first nights are always nerve-wracking, aren't they? They're really... When I went on tour, um, the costumes didn't arrive in time for us to have a dress rehearsal. <laughs> and Teo, the, our line captain, was literally throwing costumes out of the panniers, out of the baskets. We, uh, we didn't get on for half the numbers because we just didn't even know how to put them on, you know? What, what way up does this go? And we knew the show, but, um, well, you know, you, we'd arrived in Seoul. We'd had no sleep for three days. We'd rehearsed. Um, and then we were given costumes that we didn't know what they were for or when they were for or anything. So, and that was hilarious. We were just like, <laughs> just, there were, there were things on, on upside down and boobs coming out of wrong holes and, <laughs> and then people coming on with half a costume. It was just, yeah. Oh, I hope if there's a video that would just be, Oh my gosh, we could, sh that would be hilarious to anybody, but especially dancers. Cause I think when you're learning it too, and the, the dress is preset, like all the jewels and is this a bracelet, is a necklace, is the earring, where does this go? And they help you at first, but there's not just one piece of costume. There's like several <laughs> pieces of costume and that's a lot yeah. to keep track of. Yeah. I think, you know, things like hats back to front or sideways, you know, you've attached them to your hair, that sort of thing. Yeah. Funny. Just how just, long, how long did you do Coco Rico? Um, I think we left, I went in the May and I think we went to Seoul in the end of October. So I was in Paris for about six months. And then you didn't do any other shows in Paris, right? No, no. So that's no. you went on to do. Okay. So what did you do after that? Because starting as a bluebell, my first job was a bluebell and I just kept getting hired just because I was a bluebell. Yeah. I didn't have to audition for a lot of things after that. So I don't think I Never yeah. did another audition. Never ever did another audition. So I auditioned for Peter Baker in Worthing. I went to Paris. Um, I did uh, Bluebell. I did Bluebell Nude. I did um, tour. I went on tour. Um, and I never did another audition. Uh, I just used to, somebody said, oh, ring this number. And I'd ring the number and say, have you got any work? And they say, what have you done? I said, I was Bluebell in Coco Rico. And they say, yeah, I've got a job. Can you get to Spain? Can you get to Paris? Um, yeah, that's fine. We need, we need, I need another, I need another ex bluebell because I've already got one. I need somebody to match her height wise. And honestly, never, never again, never auditioned again. And it was, you wow. know, just, just on, on, on the basis of being a bluebell girl, but also once you know people who are in different yeah. jobs, they've all moved on and they'll say, oh, I know that Kathy's free or ring this number. Kathy might be at home. Um, and it literally would be a case of, <laughs> Mark, it was before we were married we were just going out and Mark was traveling home from Scotland to see me 
And um, I got a job offer on the Wednesday, was gone on the Thursday. When he rang my mum on the Friday, my mum was mortified. She said, I'm so sorry, she's gone. Mark's like, where's she gone? He said, she's gone to Spain, we think. And he's like, oh, okay, thanks. But then, so you were married in the middle and you were no, still... Perf- this was... No, 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 this was before we were married, yeah. Oh, yeah. before you married. So you was- were seriously dating and still... Yeah. yeah. That's a hard thing for a man to say, okay, I, I want to be with you, but you may want to go off and travel and dance again never you're not said, like no. never never he never said to me I want you to stop dancing and when I came home and set up my dance troupe he was really supportive both financially and physically he'd carry boxes of costumes and and stuff he was he was brilliant he's always been really he never ever once said I don't want you to dance yeah hey. um, uh, yeah so I, you know and he knew it. that world because he saw you in it so a lot of girls meet their person after they've done it and they're spouse has no idea really yeah what what their I mean, life was like and he's really good I mean he doesn't say to me don't you can't go to the reunion or he, he never ever says oh I don't want you to go or can I come with you <laughs> yeah. like, he said no he said I can't I can't we when he came to the very first one in 1988 and we went I think we went to the Nouvelle-Ev the first night we were there the second night was the Lido and that would have been Panache we went to see Panache and then we were going to the Moulin Rouge to see um, Formidable, which a friend of mine was, was in that. And he actually said to me, I, if you ever repeat it, I'll kill you. He said, but I can't do any more tits and feathers. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have this bottle of wine. I'm going to look after the baby. You go and see the show. So, yeah, he was brilliant. <laughs> he's always, and he's always said, no, he said, that, that was your life. Go, go and be. Yeah. And you can be freer to do with what you want with your friends instead of feeling like, oh, is he bored? Do I have to worry what he's, if he's not having exactly. fun? Exactly. So, exactly. so when you did the tour, that was not yeah. blue. That was Bluebell connected, or that that was separate. That wasn't a Bluebell. That well, was a Bluebell tour. It was a Bluebell. The first one I did was a Bluebell tour. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, South Korea. <laughs> That's an interesting place. Hmm. I think almost everybody I talked to that did a tour, not everything goes as it's supposed to go, and you've got people managing you who are still your peers that probably don't have much more experience to like figure things out like they're not paying you or this hotel is not what we thought it was going to be or yeah it's really hard it is it's really hard and um it's it's one of those difficult things where you've got to draw the line right today we're going to work this is work and here I'm the boss and this is what needs to be done here when we're out I can be your friend to a degree but you can't fully be their friend you can't fully yeah you know there's always that little bit of a line there so yeah, it is it is hard. I was line captain for um Monsieur Bertin in Japan in eighty three. I was twenty, I turned twenty-one. I turned twenty-one. So it was eighty-three, eighty-four. Um, and I was line captain for him for six. I was the youngest person in the ballet, but I'd worked for him before and he knew me and trusted me. And he said, Would I be line captain? Again, I was I was really lucky because Benjamin Greenberg was with me on that contract and he helped he helped and supported me a lot but um yeah it's quite it's quite hard having to tell your peers and and people who are older than you actually you can't do this you know the hope the manage the hotel management have said no um and i mean it, it's a really fine balance between supporting your dancers and also telling your dancers so you've got to be able to say no to management as well as no to everybody else so it can yeah. be quite, quite difficult yeah quite difficult did you have any desire to go back to the Lido or once you got another, every job also was another fun opportunity? No, I, I never really did. I never really did. I, with hindsight, which is a wonderful thing, I wish I'd, I, I wish I'd known, I wish I'd been a bit more grown up when I first went to Paris. And I wish I'd gone to Paris at the end of my career so that I could have had my apartment. And do you know something? I think if, if the travel had been better, if if the communication was better, it was easier to get from the UK to, to Paris, like it is now. Like, you know, you can get on a train in London and be in Paris in an hour. So if it had been able to do that, so Mark had been able to come and see me, you know, on a weekend off and that sort of stuff, then I, it would have been great. But I, I by the time I'd got to that stage, I, I pretty much, I, I think because I was, I never thought I could be a dancer. So to to actually have a, 
a good dancing career that started at the top because you, when you start at some, when you start as a bluebell, you start at the top. Yeah. Um, I think, I think when you've, I, I just, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't bothered. The money wasn't great. The jobs weren't getting any better. Um, the contracts, in fact, with some of them were getting a bit dodgy. And I just thought, you know, I don't want to do this now. I'm done with it. You know, I, I don't like working for that type of people. I just, <laughs> some of them were pretty unpleasant. Um, but I pretty much had done what I wanted to do, I think. And it was time for me to come home. And I was happy to do that. But then getting home is another story, isn't it? So Yeah. So then you started doing your own, putting your own shows together, choreographing, yeah. Uh, yeah. creating the whole thing. Yep, whole thing, choreographing, making costumes, um, training the girls. I started to teach keep fit stuff. I did choreography for local amateur dramatic shows. Um, and then as my kids got a little bit bigger and they joined a children's theatre company and I did quite a lot of stuff for them. You know, really, really nice stuff. So it was good, good fun. I've always sort of kept my fingers in. We used to do dance and exercise weekends at one of the local holiday camps, which they used to say to me, oh, can you teach a can-can class? It's like, yeah, let's do that on the last day. And, um, <laughs> um, and can you do a showgirl class? And can you teach them how to stand and how to walk and how to do this and do a routine to that? And can you do a like a Bollywood type number? So yeah, they, they used to just throw this stuff at me to then teach to people who basically aren't dancers. So uh, yeah, so it was that was quite a challenge and good fun too. That was a good laugh. I enjoyed that. Did you choreograph before you dance professional? Or did that come after? Uh, no, I didn't. I used to help a bit at the dancing school, but I never did choreography, no. no. It's just interesting how those shows changes, I think, how you see staging yeah. and choreography. Because I, I choreographed, like, you know, I was making up my own solos or duets and things, but it was just seeing, like, how a stage production does choreography, that it's not just the choreography, it's what you do with the move people, but I just think it gives... And also just like we were exposed to so many styles of dance too. I think so. And I think as well, one of the things I learned, I learned to listen to the music because the music tells me what I want people to do. And yeah. I, I, the, the music talks to me. As I, and as I got older and I worked in different shows and I did different sorts of choreography, some choreography was like, actually, I can't even do this because it doesn't work for my what I can hear and what my body wants to do is not what you're wanting me to do. So I, there were several people I worked for. It's like, no, just put me on the back. <laughs> just mm. put me on the back. <laughs> I feel like a tree, you know? Um, but it, I learned to listen to music differently. I learned to listen to it differently and it spoke to me in a different way. And I still find that sometimes, and even just to things like, you know, at the minute I'm doing the like skipping for a month, I'm skipping for stroke, I'm raising, you know, raising some money, just listening to that music, you know, different, a different song will come on and I'll get the rhythm better than the one before. If I'm running and the weather's rubbish and, I, and I'm thinking, why am I even here? And then the right song will come on and it's like, and then I'll enjoy it and it'll make me laugh, you know? So, so music speaks to me differently than when it, when I was learning to dance. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So I'm, I'm, you only were at the Lido six months. And then the tour, but you have these friends that, that it's like when you were at the reunion, it was just this joy to be together. So it's not like you were together. You're, Cause I know some people work together like 11 years or whatever in a show, yeah. but to have that good of a connection that 40, 30, 40, whatever, 30 something years later, it's still rich. And it, it's so deeply connected. It's just fascinating. Cause I think of, you know, you have somebody that worked in corporate. I don't want to put down people that have regular jobs. Cause we all did those too. But it's really different to go, I could work with someone for 10 years and not and not have that same connection of somebody that you work with for six months of the friends that you had. I think I think I think that part of that is, is that like I worked in the gas and oil industry in, in Great Yarmouth for three years. And I think, you know, I, I know lots of people from there, um, but I never really had a would go and have a cup of coffee with them that I just know them to say, hello, how are you? Did you see the football? That sort of stuff. <laughs> But when I was in Paris, there was a, a whole gang of us went for a picnic in the Bois de Boulogne one day. And um, that turned into a bit of a party. We all got wet. We went to work. And then we carried on and went to a party and went to work. And we're told that if you don't go to bed, you're going to be fired. So we were, we were <laughs> about 48 hours. So you have a different connection with those. <laughs> 
and I've I've always tried to keep in touch. One, once we started with social media, I I love social media for keeping me in touch with my dancing life. What people had for tea, what the kids, um, all of that. Bless them. That's great, but it it's it's the people I from my past that I find it really important. I wouldn't be able to have a conversation with Karina without social media. We, I wouldn't see what she, what she's doing, what Savannah's doing so beautifully at the Lido. You know it's it's just so special and I think I loved it I did love it it was a really important part of my life and really importantly made me who I am um I'm not always brave I can put on a good face but I always I'm always so happy to see anybody and I remember people really well they probably look at me and think is that but it's like I say you know I, I I do remember little bits of stories and and these girls that I worked with and and again quite often linked through through different other people yeah 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 it was just brilliant to see so many people and and you know like I say there's one or two one or two of the girls have come come to the here to stay with me and I've met up with them in London and then of course they've worked They've worked for different other different people, like working for Jose, working for Gin Pack, working, you know, um, these other different groups in Europe that you you end. It's they're all like those circles that are interlinked, a bit like the, you know, the one in the middle, and everything goes all the way around. Yeah, was it the Venn diagram? Like all the the, the middle one is the bluebell. Wow, wow. I'm just kind of taking this all in. It's just that that six months with with some people stands out that much because I'm 62. I don't know how you're close. I think you're close to that, but it's just interesting that that six months is such a tiny little mark on your timeline. Yeah. And it just so, but it's so important. So important. Yeah. So what do you think it was that changed in you by being a bluebell that you, that you carried on, like, you know, going in as a young person when you're still figuring out, you know, what, who you are, what the world is like, that's a really defining time in our life. And especially you've left your parents, you're striking out into something else, but it's, changes like your trajectory of who who you think you are and what you're going to do I think that I think that going to Paris and becoming a bluebell girl um when I came when I when I left bluebell I um when we came back from the tour I went to see Miss Bluebell, my, we went to see Miss Bluebell and she said, I'm, I've got some um, contracts coming up in Vegas in a few months, if you would like to wait and go, go to Vegas. And I never fancied it. I never fancied America. I never fancied those really, really massive, massive shows. Um, and I said, mm, nah, that's all right, thanks. But it made me believe that I could do anything, do anything I wanted to do. Uh. I could go anywhere I wanted to go and I could do anything I wanted to do. I can do that because I sat in that, in that, in, in Miss Bluebell's goldfish bowl on that first night and I watched that show and I thought, shit. <laughs> and I never said it. I never said it. And I sucked it up and I got on with it. And I I've honestly have never been so scared in my whole life, but I did it. And everything after that, if it's scary, it's like, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. And I've talked oh. into so much stuff over the years. I can, and, and I truly believe that bluebells can do and be whatever they want to be. Because if we were brave enough to go to Paris and do that first day of rehearsal and get in that show, we can do what we want. We can do and be what we want. Mm, boy, that's just bringing up all this body memory of yeah. seeing this show and being so overwhelmed. But and because I'm like, I can't believe I get to be part of it. Like, like you said, oh shit, I have to be able to do that. I have, to, I have to like be at that level yeah. and learn all that. So I think I just forgot like how I'm just remembering how beautiful and how overwhelmed, like, but it is like, I start rehearsals tomorrow. Yeah. I hope I can do this. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> shit. I'm a bluebell. <laughs> Maybe that's the title of this episode. Oh uh. shit. I'm a bluebell. <laughs> <laughs> but it is like, when you get there and it is like, oh my gosh, I did that. I, I did that. Like when you get in the show and you know what you're doing, you don't have to think so hard and you're like yeah. you to actually revel in it and go, oh, I'm doing this thing that on the other side, watching it didn't seem yeah. like maybe doable. And Yay it, to it, us. it was great. And I, but I always enjoyed the change. I always enjoyed the change. So 
for me, while I was in Paris, I, I was, um, I was in the Bluebells, and then I was Bluebell nude, and I did three months of pretty much three months of each, and um, and then it was like okay, I, but then after that, I never did anything more than a six month contract. Yeah, because by the time I got to the end of the six month contract, I was bored, and I was ready for the next thing. Yeah, ready for the next challenge and the next change and that sort of stuff. I think the only thing that um, the only thing that that I really I always struggled with my weight. I was always told I was fat, and that's funny, mm. isn't it? And I'm, now I wish I was so fat, right? Uh, you know. Yeah. Um, so I always had to ba- battle my weight, um, and that was often a, a, a nitpick on various various contracts, various places. I wasn't the only one. I wasn't the only yep. one. Um, it's it's. I still have difficulty with that. Um, what they call it body dysmorphia. My one of my friends at work, yeah. she's only a young lassie. She laughs at me, and I said, "No, nah, I'm too fat for that." And she's like, "What are you talking about?" And it's like, "Yeah, but I, I have never been able to just let that go. Not quite let that go." Yeah, those those are those voices are in there for like yeah. if you start if you because it's not like you're too fat for whatever. Like you could lose your job, so there's a little bit more at oh, stake yeah. if if yeah. how your body looks and if things start to move or go south a little bit like everything <laughs> your job is dependent on yeah. how your body looks so there's a lot I've talked to a lot of people that have you know those voices are still there and yeah. they look amazing but to them they think because they're not their bluebell weight that they feel like they're fat it's 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 that's yeah. that is one of the downsides of that business is I think your so. body is your worth but yeah, yeah. um yeah. Kathy this was fabulous so I, I'm just so glad to connect because I, I now I'm like oh I so see your face at the reunion like because I remember like looking at the groups of friends because I'm like, I didn't, I was trying to find people, but there was something of the Paris people that they're in Paris there. They were finding each other that I was just kind of riding the high of everybody's joy. But I just remember groups of friends, like, this is amazing that they all get together and they share this. They don't have to start over. They get to just pick right up again. Yeah. And, and it was amazing how you, how we did all pick, pick up again straight away but it was really interesting to see because I knew quite a lot of girls who were in Coco Rico at different times and I know these girls quite well so when we got when we go to Spain we're all a group but when we got to Paris they ended up being in their their Paris era groups right which which was different as well but also really nice because then I suppose really that could be how I know all these different groups because I knew people in them from my other work so maybe that maybe that's why I, I seem to be going hello but were, <laughs> the girl I traveled out to Paris with Linda I hadn't seen her since I've left Paris and she was at that reunion so that was oh, the first wow. time I'd seen her since then so that that was really nice to touch base with her again and um yeah it's just great it was just lovely and Miranda Miranda's amazing I just I bumped into Amanda at Miranda I've never worked with her but just sort of bumped into her at different times and I worked with her and never met, never knew her because we were different. That show was so big. Yeah. And her interview, oh my gosh, she had me laughing pretty hard too. So there's people like, I want to go back in that show. And can we go hang out and have, have a drink and be friends? Because it's like all these people that now I'm finding out how wonderful they are. I'm like, oh, I wish we had time to just know everyone in the show. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this. And then you're going to send some pictures and we get to kind of, re- I think it's fun because people pull out their scrapbook and go, oh yeah. And I get to look at my costume pictures again. So I, I actually do talks for, we have what we call the Women's Institute here and there's lots of groups of ladies and they pay me to go and talk about my Bluebell days. It's great. My really? Kids can't believe it. My kids say, we'd pay you to shut up because we have <laughs> these But I, I still get telephone calls saying, oh, we're doing our list for next year. Please, will you come back and talk again about your Bluebell years? And so that's really cool. It's really nice. So I get all of my stuff is really quite sort of to hand so I can get. Yeah. Yeah. It's all fresh and not just locked away in a trunk. Yeah. Oh, well, best to you. I hope to do a UK bluebell tour and go visit anyone who will have, will meet up with me and just go. Cause there's so many of you that I'm like, I have to go now to the UK and visit everybody. Yep. You're very welcome. You can come and stay with me whenever you like. Oh my gosh. I need to do it. And also if you happen to want to go to Paris in April, I'm going to be there. I'm taking a dancer to audition and go see all the shows. And I think Miles is going to maybe try to come over. I don't know if you worked with Miles Riley. I think now you might've overlapped. He was, no. yeah, but there's, there's a few, like hey, we just have these mini reunions. Like who, who's yeah. in Paris right now? Who wants to pop an hour ride on the train over? Just so, putting that out there. Yeah. Okay. So let me know those dates. 
let me know yeah. those dates are in Paris. Um, I'm actually going to Australia at the end of the year, so I might not be able to afford to do it. Do two trips, I've, yeah. I've been told I have to rein in my traveling. Um, but I know. <laughs> but so I, I, will, I do get to go and see my boy. Um, but let seriously, let me know those dates. Okay. Yeah. If, I mean, is anybody listening? April 3rd through the 12th. If anyone wants to meet up to go see one of the shows or have a drink or I want to go back and see where Miss Bluebell's marker is. I don't know. It's in Montmartre. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to find that. I'm going to go visit that. I just know it feels different to me. That's actually. Than not it used from, to. Yeah. Not very far from the Moulin Rouge. It's okay. That part. And if you, it's just up there around the corner. Okay. So, beautiful so somebody will be in Paris and somebody will be able to take you to where that is oh. and it, that may be me I might try and see if I can sneak it's just an hour a little just a hop yeah. skip and a jump yeah okay well be well and hopefully you're gonna just you know be back out in the world doing all your fun stuff soon yeah stupid <laughs> COVID, honestly I suppose really I'm quite lucky two years and I didn't get it working in the hospital um, yeah so, and it's okay. It means I've had it now. And then when I go to Spain next month for my next reunion. Yeah, I'm- get that all out of the way. And you, you thought your voice was going to be low and lower, but it wasn't. I was waiting for this really low, manly voice. <laughs> Sound like a smoke for you, day. <laughs> okay, well, take care. And I am so glad to connect with you. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Bye, Kathy.